Gede and welcome to the Hunting Connection Podcast. My name is Zach Williams and I am your host. Here we'll connect you with hunters, fishers and outdoor enthusiasts from around the globe. This podcast will share hunting and fishing stories including past experiences and tackle the tough hunting stereotypes our community faces. We hope to be a positive influence to those outside the community while also having a laugh along the way. Hope you enjoy the podcast. G'day and welcome to another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. On today's episode, we have Kate Fentanel from WA, also known as Lady Liberty. How are you going? Good. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. You're welcome. So you had a good weekend then? It's a long weekend here in Western Australia, but I have been working, so I'm very jealous of all the photos I've seen of people out and about enjoying the great outdoors in this great state, but I have tomorrow off, so I'll be able to get out. Maybe head to the range. We'll see how I go. I'm a bit tired, but that's okay. <laughs> that's awesome. Uh, how often do you hit the range? I try and go at least once a week. So I shoot at Lone Ranges in Belmont is my pistol club. So I try and get there every Tuesday. And then I've been going out visiting a lot of ranges in WA. So I went up to Men- Mundaring last weekend and shot clays. I have a little bit of a bruise on my arm because I'm not much of a shotgun shooter. I'm more of a pistol and rifle shooter, but I gave it a red hot crack. I wasn't very good. I'm a bit out of practice. So just trying to get out as much as I can and and meet everybody and try different disciplines. That's awesome. Um, yeah, I haven't done too much uh, handgun shooting, so I'd be uh, pretty horrible at that there, you know. Um, I don't do much range shooting itself, you know. I'm I'm actually not mm. a member of a local range here, you know. The local range here would be um the the para range here in uh, Adelaide, South Australia, in the northern suburbs where I am. Um, I was a member up until I was probably about 18, but then you know hit that 18 stage and you know just started off going doing my own thing. I was lucky enough to get a few access to properties and um you know being able to shoot on private property. For me, myself, it was it was a better option. <laughs> yeah, I love a good pistol indoor range. I'm not going to lie, but I do love an outdoor range too, and I love getting outdoors and hunting as well. So I just try and do it all, really keep my skills up because you never know when you'll need them in the future. That's it. Um, with handgun laws in WA, what are, the, what are they like compared to South Australian laws? Do you know the South Australian laws being from here originally? Yeah, so I actually got my handgun licence in South Australia. Unfortunately, Western Australia is the only state that doesn't recognise other licences. So they are currently making me go through the whole process of my handgun licence again. Uh, I think Waypole might have a problem with me. Maybe it's because of my campaign against police minister, Paul Papalia, but I'm not too sure. So <laughs> going through the process, I do have a little Browning Buckmark 22 in South Australia in my dad's capable hands, but I'm really looking forward to finally getting my H licence back in WA. So I have to do 15 shoots um, and also a test to get my handgun license in WA. It's a bit harder than the other states, but I feel like it's going to get harder and harder across the board to own any firearm in Australia in the future, which is something I'm quite passionate about. Yeah, that's uh, why I wanted to get you on the podcast. And it sounds like um, you've been chatting to a couple other other of our uh, the podcast friends, and um, they're getting you on as well, which is awesome. Um, it's great to get the publicity out there for these types of things. 
um, yeah, the handgun laws in South Australia or across Australia annoy me as it is, you know, you should, you should be able to shoot handguns on private property, you know, you can go shoot rifles and shotguns on, on private property here in South Australia. I know other states you can't, can't target shoot on private property, but yeah, with it Mm. being legal, you should be able to do the same with handguns too. Yeah, and they're also an important tool for hunting as well. Like you never know when you're going to need that um, sidearm for close-up opportunities. So I find that the restrictions on hunting in Australia, and like I said, it's only going to get worse. I feel like successive governments have uh, gradually eroded our proud hunting traditions and culture of firearms ownership in Australia, which is why I ran on my Senate campaign, which I'm sure you'll ask me about giving gun owners a fair go. So I'm very much into the political side of firearms, not because I chose to be. There's a thousand other things I could be doing with my time and I haven't been paid a cent for any of my gun rights activism um, since I left the SSAA back in 2019 when I went to work for Senator David Leinhelm. So all of this I'm doing out of the kindness of my heart because I do not want to see our generation and the next generation of Australian shooters not have access to the firearms that our parents' generation has. And in Western Australia, we are currently staring down the barrel of limits on how many firearms we can own. So they're proposing 10 firearms for competition shooters and farmers and five for hunters. So Whoever suggested how many firearms someone can own uh, is complicit in these terrible laws that are set to come out in November here in Western Australia. Uh, I do not want to see another gun gun confiscation. I don't call it a buyback because buyback implies the state owned the guns to begin with, which is inaccurate. So it's a gun confiscation. We've just had one in WA when they banned high calibre firearms. I'm not sure if um, some of your listeners are across that, but we had about 250 guns taken off of people. The biggest group of people affected were actually veterans, so returned servicemen who shoot long-range rifle with higher calibre firearms were stripped of their firearms. These are people that fought for our country overseas. The government in Western Australia confiscated their firearms because they decided they were too dangerous to have in the hands of our return veterans. So this is the kind of attitude that we have from politicians in Western Australia, how they treat shooters. It's actually appalling and it's a Labor government, but as we all know, it was John Howard who brought in the 1996 gun confiscation, so we can't trust either of the major parties. And no, that's not a plug for me. I do not want to run for office again. I don't really want to be talking to politicians at the best of times. Uh, I don't trust them as far as I can throw them. Uh, Sorry, Zach, you got me all fired up. That's fine. um, I love the enthusiasm and the passion. Yeah, well, we've got to stand up for our our rights. We've got to stand up for our sport and we have to stand up for our proud hunting traditions. I come at it from a side of culture. So I grew up in regional South Australia in the Flinders Ranges and I went out hunting with my dad. So it was just a simple thing, holding the spotlight for him, going to my grandma's farm, popping rabbits with 22 and getting out there and sourcing free-range food for the table. So my dad has a freezer full of food, which is coming in handy now during a cost-of-living crisis, and being able to cook with him, cook venison, uh, it's part of my culture. So when I hear politicians say that they want to take away and strip my rights to participate in that with my family, I get very offended. So what happened to the proud traditions of us saying, go out there and fend for yourself? The government is trying to make us more reliant on them 
And it's not something that I want to see for our generation and the next generation. So that's where I come at it from. Yeah, that's it. I 100% agree with everything that you just said, you know. Um, it sounds like we had very similar starts into hunting and shooting as each other, um, you know, hunting very similar similar areas. I grew up um, going out Peterborough Way and out the back there in that dry, deserty area chasing goats with my pop, um, you know, small game as well. Rabbits, goats boxes, are hairs. terrible out there. The the damage that goats do to the Flinders Ranges, it's, it's atrocious. And I get so frustrated when I hear the vegans say, you know, you've got to protect the animals. Well, we're actually trying to protect native animals, which is why we go out and cull goats and then we use the goats in our curries. Like, I get very frustrated at the vegans sometimes. I'm not sure if you followed my Tash Peterson war. She's blocked me. <laughs> I know who she is. I have not seen the uh, Tash Peterson War, but um, I yeah, I'm well aware who she is and the the issues that she causes to cer- certain people, like the uh, butcher in WA. There. <laughs> yes, I went out to fire restaurant and visited my mate um, JM. He's the chef and owner there, and he's just trying to run a family business that specialises in cooking steak. And she went out there dressed in her, you know, putting period blood all over her, saying meat is murder. It was quite uh, atrocious, really, to conduct oneself in such manner in public. So I put on my real fur coat. I went out there, had dinner and a drink with him. And, you know, the, the intolerance of some of these people, like we're not trying to tell you how to live your life. If you don't want to eat meat, don't eat meat. But please don't try and force it on us when we want to go out there, out in nature, get food for our table, the free-range way. You shouldn't be pushing your views on us and we won't push it on you. It's pretty simple, really. Yeah, that's it. That's that's 100% correct. You know, I've had my uh, struggles in the past with animal rights activists. You know, I got uh, doxxed by Anonymous and a bunch of other stuff. <laughs> they declared war on me for shooting feral cats, of all things. You know, how these um, yeah. animal rights rights mm. vegan people get when it comes to you know cats and specific other animals as well so <laughs> i think they tend to forget that nature is inherently cruel so you have prey and predators in nature humans are part of that cycle so we try and do it as humanely as possible as ethical hunters we don't want to go out there and just shoot up everything we're very conscious of the impact that we have on the land i'm saying we i'm not trying to talk for everybody but that's because i've been around the community my whole life that's the impression that i've got from everyone i've talked to who is a hunter we take it really seriously we don't want to cause harm we want to do it as ethically as possible which is why i go to the range and try and get my eye in and we sight our rifles in we don't just go out there like it's a very uh spiritual process i would say it gets us out connected with the land i have such a deep connection with the flinders ranges we were talking about before the show and i know you do as well so i feel like if we had the opportunity to explain this to people and and that's what i do with my friends i work with a lot of younger girls i'm in my mid-30s so i'm kind of the work mum, and it's just having that conversation with them about this is why we do what we do this is how we do it and their whole attitude towards it changes. And I'm also big on taking a mate to the range and just showing them basic firearms handling. I mean, I was lucky to grow up around firearms and was taught from a young age, don't touch the firearm, make sure you know it's loaded, handle it safely. It's not a toy. 
it's a practical thing that we need for to protect our livestock to go and get food so having those conversations with normies uh, I guess the term is really helps change attitudes I find on the ground towards us and our activities yeah that's it you know um, i I take a few people uh, from workout shooting, you know, South Australia, you're being lucky that you can actually take people who don't have a firearms license out shooting. Um, Mm. I'm aware majority of the other states don't allow that, which is, you know, as long as these people are in your, your um, view and you're looking after them and teaching them, it's completely fine, which is bloody awesome. We need more of that. That's probably one Mm. good South Australian, firearms law there is you know not that i'm for many of the firearms laws <laughs> around the place but um yeah so let's jump back a little bit um we've we've covered you're currently in south australia and uh, sorry currently in wa and from south australia mm. had, had that come about you know had you had you make it over to wa from sa Yeah, well, I actually went via Sydney and Canberra first. So I was working for the Sporting Shooters Association of Australia in the national office, which was based, is based in Adelaide and Canberra. So I worked there for five years in media and politics. And my job was to educate politicians on firearms laws and also handle media inquiries. So it was while I was in Canberra, meeting with politicians and some were more receptive than others. Um, The Greens would never meet with me, which tells you everything you need to know about their stance on firearms. Uh, But I always offered, always offered to have the conversation. And it's there where I met former Senator David Leinhelm, who was the Liberal Democrat Senator or now the Libertarian Party. And we just hit it off. He's as pro-gun as they come, he sees it as the same way as me from an individual rights perspective and a cultural perspective. And basically, it shouldn't be the government, military and police with guns. Uh, the, the citizens of the state should have access to firearms, just like the government should have. So it's a bit of a Second Amendment uh, way of thinking in terms of individual rights and uh, And we just hit it off. So he offered me a job working for him as his media advisor. So I moved to Sydney and worked for him up until he lost the election in 2019. And then I was offered a job in Western Australia with the Liberal Democrat representative in the upper house here, Aaron Stonehouse. So I came across and worked as his advisor and also handled firearms um, laws here for him. And then in the 2021 state election where Labor won majority in both houses, so they have 53 seats in the lower house out of 56, (laughs) uh, the Liberal Party have a handful and the Nationals are actually the biggest uh, party, opposition party here. We lost the seat, so I lost my job. I basically ended up in WA just before they closed the border in March 2020. And the border was closed um, for, or controlled for two and a half years. So I got stuck here. Um, I'm still here at the moment. I'm not sure if I'll remain. I'm not working in my uh, career of choice. It's very hard to get a job in WA when you're critical of the state <laughs> government. And uh, they're basically the biggest employer and give the mining companies lots of subsidies and taxpayer handouts. So it's been very hard to get back on my feet. And then obviously I ran on my pro-gun campaign at the 2022 federal election. So I'm in WA at the moment, not sure if I'll stay, but that's how I ended up here. I know it's a very convoluted story, but yeah, here I am. (laughs) 
So was it just your passion for uh, firearms and shooting and getting outdoors for you to jump into the politics side of stuff? Because I, m- me personally, I can't stand politics, you know, mm. and it's only been the last couple of years since um, Susan Close here in South Australia um, put forward the potential bow hunting ban um, and now all this stuff with ducks that I'm slowly mm. looking more into the politics side of stuff and chatting to a, a couple of local politics politicians here that are in favor for hunting and bow hunting um and outdoor recreation which is great to have but you know um i'm much the same with politicians you know labor liberal it doesn't matter they're both (laughs) both criminals in my opinion Mm. you know um Mm -hmm. but yeah it's just yeah what made you dive into the the politics world (sighs) i just felt like someone had to speak out and for some reason I'm able to communicate quite effectively. I know I don't look like a stereotypical shooter or hunting hunting person. Um, Sometimes it's an advantage, sometimes it's a disadvantage, but I just felt like we needed a voice that is a bit different and that people would listen to. So um, by no means is it something that I, I wake up and want to do. I'm actually quite a introverted person um I like my quiet time I read a lot and I listen to a lot of uh podcasts and information so I feel like I have a talent for regurgitating things that I learn (laughs) but also a passion because I've it's something that's been part of my childhood and culture growing up and like I said like I, I love going home and going out hunting with dad I love going to the range Um, I took an interest in firearms and shooting because I feel like I want to be as self-sufficient as I can and I understand it's historically been a a male activity and I'm not saying that to wave a gender card because I've been raised not to use my gender or where I'm from as to, to be some kind of victim but I'm just worried in terms of the future having these skills of the hunter gatherer and the ability to operate a firearm I'm worried that the government is taking that away generation by generation and I don't want to be left in an Australia where we don't have those skills. So um, as a single woman living by myself, I also see it as a term of, in in terms of self-defence, I'm very big on having the ability to defend your life because life is the fundamental human right. We all have a basic human right to life. And by extension, that means we should be able to defend ourselves. So I, that's something that I would like to see in the future in Australia is the right to defend our house, our castle and ourselves as an individual. Um, So I'm just putting that message out there. Hopefully we'll see Australians take that on board in the future. We haven't seen it the last few years and the last few elections, but I feel like there is going, we are going to get to a point and we're seeing it in WA at the moment where we have to take a stand and decide as a country, do we want to have civilian disarmament where only the government have the guns? Do we want to be that restricted where we can't go out into our national parks, which are already overregulated? 
they're not owned by anyone, so no one looks after it. We have incompetent national park people, no offence, but they're not being managed properly. You see that with the aerial culling incident with the deers in South Australia, which is outrageous. We nearly had the state government kill civilians on private property because of mismanagement of aerial culling by national parks. I mean, that is just an outrageous thing to say. Can you imagine the headlines overseas? Australia has the safest gun laws in the world then the state government has just killed hunters on their own land with aerial helicopters. I mean, it's crazy to even say that. But that's what's happening with our recreation and our firearms ownership here. So that's why I'm grateful to be on these podcasts. I know not everyone agrees with the way I go about things or my memes or my trolling of the government, but what's been done the last few years by the shooting organisations and the old guard isn't working anymore our generation are the ones who are going to suffer. So we need to change tact and we need to change it now because otherwise it'll be too late. Yeah, that's it. Um, Jumping into your childhood and getting into shooting, um, being brought into it by your father, how old were you? um, And when did you really start getting stuck into Mm. um, enjoying hunting and how were you brought into it? Yeah, so... Every weekend we would go out to my grandmother's farm and we would just go spotlighting. So that was just part of our weekends. And then living in the Flinders Ranges, there were goats everywhere. So it was a feral goat problem. So I went out there just um, being around it and just seeing that it's, it's part of our responsibility as custodians of the land that we live in to look after them and protect them for native animals. Um, so it's just something I've, I've been around my whole life. And then when I got older and moved to Adelaide, I kind of lost touch with that side of my life, as you do, like going to university and going out, um, you know, what you do in your 20s, you know, you, yeah. you're learning different things, meeting different people, travelling. So it wasn't until I worked for the SSAA that I got back into it and I really got into my pistol shooting. I used to shoot at um, Marksman on Franklin Street, but I know that's not there anymore. I used to shoot there, won a few club championships. Then I moved to Sydney, Canberra and lost it again because it was too busy being a political staffer. You're working 24-7. I got to go to a few ranges with Linehelm, um, Senator Linehelm, so that was good. And then in WA, when all this stuff started happening with the gun laws, I got right back into it. So it actually was, it incentivized me to get back into my shooting. Uh, I think the government is trying to disincentivize most people, but for me, it did the opposite. So I have to thank them for getting me back into it again. And for all the uh, dads out there that have daughters, what would be your advice mm. to introducing their their daughters into hunting and shooting firearms in today's modern age, you know? Yeah, it's not only just dads because um, not all dads are into it, but it's also husbands and boyfriends and and friends. Um, So I feel like it's a shared responsibility. And like I was saying before, if we want the next generation to have the skills that our fathers had and the hunter-gatherers had, then it's on us as individuals to share our knowledge. And that's one thing I really have found going out and visiting lots of ranges around Australia and in America too, because I've travelled there a few times, is if you show an interest, people are there to share information. Like nine out of ten times, I've, I've, I've been shared so much knowledge 
that would get lost. And there's a lot of single older blokes out there who don't have anyone to share. So, yeah. you know, when you show an interest and ask questions, they're more than happy to share. It's just, it can be intimidating though. And as a female, um, it's sometimes a little bit lonely at the range, but I just get amongst it. Like I don't let that hold me back. Um, and sometimes it's an advantage as well, like being able to show up and just have a chat with people because I'm showing an interest. So that would be, it's a two way street, but we do have to make it a bit more welcoming. I, I think like it, it is intimidating going into a range, even a gun shop, if you've never been around guns before. And Australians, we've kind of been programmed to think all guns are scary. So I feel like trying to make it a bit more welcoming and and inclusive in terms of just, yeah, just the attitude towards people. But I also understand because I've been around it a long time, there is that escapism. Like some guys love going in the range, you know, to get away from the miso. I get it. I love going to the gym. Like that's my escape. Um, but it's just fun, like we have to be able to be inclusive for, for this, the future of our sport and our recreation. Like that's it. That's the bottom line. Like the days of going to the range to get away from the wife, whatever. Now we're talking about in terms of what are we going to do to protect it for future for all Australians. Yeah, that's it. How would What would you recommend to make ranges and gun shops mm. more inclusive and more friendly for people not just women, but everyone. For all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we do. It is like a very, um, especially in WA, it's a little bit of a clicky society. And we even see that like shotgun shooters versus hunters versus pistol shooters versus bench rest shooters. Like we all have our little clicks. But we are facing disarmament by the government in Western Australia. That's a reality. And that will translate to other states. It's not just going to be WA. We have Labor across the whole country, but Liberal are not much better. Uh, so we can't afford to be fighting amongst ourselves. We can't afford to be having these clicks anymore. If you have a problem with somebody, don't let it affect the operations of the organisation. Like these people in leadership roles are there to defend our sport, full stop. Everything else doesn't matter in terms of being inclusive, I want to do more range days, come and try shooting days, um, shoot with Lady Liberty. I don't know, just anything that I can do, I will do to to educate and include especially women. Like I've, I work with a lot of young girls, so they're all excited about coming to the range and they haven't had anyone show. So maybe I need to start my like Ladies of Liberty shooting organisation or something and have a, have a, but we all have to work together. It's not going to be an us versus them approach. But that's what I love about shooting is I can compete on the range with someone like a big tall guy who bench press, presses 200 kilos and I can be there 55 kilos and out shoot him because shooting is, that's what's great about our sport. It is all inclusive. It, it is. is all it abilities. Is. So let's get everyone involved. Yeah, there's some great programs popping up. Um, I, I'm aware of one in New South Wales where it's Women's Come Try Day that's run by CADS, who's uh, been a former guest on the podcast and one of my good friends. Um, and, yeah, so people like her and if, you know, mm. you, yourself put together one of those programs, it would be absolutely awesome to have. Um, you know, um, I'm big about getting my kids out. Um, I've got a nine-year-old and a three-and-a-half-year-old, nine-year-old, doesn't love it too much, but I still get him out, you know. He comes out, you know, once every rut with me, um, you know, 
we do a fair bit of fishing and then you know the three-year-old he loves coming out I, he's been coming out um in a little backpack since he was about six months old um oh. both of them have their own bows both of them you know i, I absolutely love it so good. it's you know it's it's good to to get them out um um yeah like you like i said big about getting kids out so mm. you know the more we can do that um you're seeing a lot of women coming up through the through the ranks when it comes to shooting and hunting at the moment which is absolutely great to see you've got uh, mm. Tegan down in Victoria and Cads in New South and yourself in WA and many many others there seems to be a lot in WA which is awesome to see we need need more voices over there so yeah, we just all have to work together and, and share it. resources and share range time and share our knowledge because, like, they're trying to divide us. I mean, you saw it here in WA. Um, they went, like, the government, by they, I mean, authorities, uh, they went to the farmers and, and turned it into a, oh, well, you know, we'll give you this if you come out and say that, you know, wreck hunters don't need guns, you know. that It's yeah. it's disgusting politics it's all wheeling and dealing that's why it you know some of these people that i've had to to deal with in my time it just makes you want to have a cold shower thinking <laughs> about it but um that's why politics is not for me but that's where the decisions are made so what else do you do like you can sit behind your keyboard and be a facebook warrior which a lot of people are or you can actually get out there in the community and talk to to the people who make the decisions and have your voice heard so that's what i'm trying to do on top of everything else but yeah it's, it's educating the children too and i in my senate campaign i came out and said we should um bring shooting back to schools and of course the headlines were um you know right wing which i'm not canada wants kids to have guns in schools you know you can just see it now but no i want australian children to be taught the skills of safe firearms handling to be able to know what to do if they ever came across a gun if they want to go shoot olympic skeet shooting let's let's get them trained now it's not some crazy idea to have all like guns in schools it's actually quite rational but that's the world that we're living in now yeah that's it um it's a it's a weird weird place we live in um you know just flashback popped up you know um in the 2000 olympics when we um you know in primary school we had to all pick olympians to send letters to write to and you know you know most people were picking your your more normal sports i was i was did setting, you choose russell mark was it russell mark in 2000 oh, i can't <laughs> can't remember it was one of the um females uh oh. shooters that i ended up sending a letter to and i've nice. actually got the reply in um a folder in my in my podcast room at the moment um but yeah so it's like the teachers are like do you really want to like because it was guns you know you know mm. what, what um teachers tend to be like well can be like you know there's there's mm. a lot of good teachers out there you know mm. i had a few in high school that were shooters and um hunters which was awesome i got to connect with them on that that level but yeah it would be good to see some type of basic firearm even if it's just not shooting but just some basic firearm knowledge put into school so kids aren't scared of firearms 
And I think yeah. that's, that's something that we've lost. People tend to be more scared of firearms because they're made to be big and scary and, you know, super dangerous. Mm. You know, you leave it, leave it laying around, it, it's going to get up itself and go shoot, <laughs> shoot yeah. people, you know. Um, yeah, it's just a just a crazy world we live in when it comes to that type of stuff. Um, but I feel like, sorry to interrupt, yeah, but I, I feel like that is a deliberate thing by the government to, with the propaganda out there, to make us think that guns are scary. I mean, we see it here in WA. They put on the front page of the West Australian paper, which is the only newspaper in this state, they printed a map of Perth and the greater metropolitan region showing where registered firearms are stored. And they even had different coloured dots for rifles, different coloured dots for handguns. And you could actually reverse engineer the map to show exactly where registered firearms are stored, which is basically where gun owners live. They printed that. They doxed the entire 90,000 list of registered firearms and they're the ones that turn around and say that we're the public safety risk. That's it. A few weeks after that, someone got broken into, violently robbed and bashed, set on fire and his firearm stolen. And this is because of deliberate actions of the state government giving ad addresses to the only newspaper who are in bed with the government. This state is an oligarchy. I've said it before. I'll say it again. All the rich up at the top, the resources company, yeah. the, the media and the government, all the money stays at the top while we get poorer. They dox the entire 90,000 um, registered firearm owners and we're meant to be the problem. You've just put the whole public safety at risk because now criminals have got a shopping list of firearms that this is why registration is always one step away from confiscation. I think Ted Drain, I think his name was, was the president of SSAA in 96, and he said registration is one step away from confiscation. And look what we're seeing now in 2023. Yeah. Uh, Don't give up your guns, guys. Do not give up your guns. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that article coming out um, and you know, it, it got back engineered, as you said, within, you know, a day or two um, and people were up in arms, which is just... It's outrageous. Absolutely disgusting. So you mentioned before about um, firearm groups and shooters unions and all of this working together, you know. Um, from hmm. my experience working with Firearm Owners United, it's hard getting other shooting groups working together what would be your recommendations mm -hmm. on getting these different um firearm advocacy groups working together well i'll use wa as an example because that's where i am at the moment and this is where we've got the biggest fight on our hands so western australia's all the shooting most of the shooting organizations got together and formed a council of firearm owners group that i was invited to the first meeting the first problem was some people were deliberately excluded so there you already have the first problem it's not inclusive because oh so and so did this i don't even know the history anymore i i've 
I cannot be bogged down in in the gutter with people having issues with each other when we have a fight. The fight is in Western Australian Parliament. If you have a problem, take it to the car park and sort it out yeah. there or go to the bar and have a bar fight. Like, honestly, um, some of these issues are just can be resolved. The, the, the future of shooters, shooters' rights in Australia is at stake. I don't have time for petty politi- political, you know, whatever. And I've worked in minor party politics for a long time. I don't have time for that anymore either. The fight is the government. So that's the first thing people need to get on the same page with. We all have different ways of going about how we're going to deal with the problem. The new firearm laws are already written here in WA. The time for meeting with this government was out the window a long time ago when they doxed us. Why you would even show up at a meeting after what they've done to us and actually think that they care or respect you or what you say, and by you I mean us as shooters and hunters, it's farcical to think that they they respect us. They don't. They are, the Labor Party in Western Australia are ideologically opposed to us owning guns. They don't want us to have the skills to hunt and shoot and they will do everything in their power to trample on our rights. The, the boot of the state is on our neck. Yeah. So are we going to all rise up together? Are we going to, to talk amongst ourselves and come up with a plan? And my solution, which I've said previously, we need to get the community on side. Forget the government. They don't give a fuck. Sorry about my language, no, but they don't care. Right. They're not listening to us. It's face value. Oh, yeah, that, yeah, okay, maybe we'll give you 15 guns instead of 10. No, I'm sorry, that's not good enough. Like, don't tell me how much private property I can own. Exactly. I'm not a criminal. I'm a responsible person. You've already ticked the box. Why are we talking about gun limits? No. The time is to get the community educated, which is why we need to have these range days. I've said bring back the I am a shooter, I am a hunter campaign that I think it was SSAA ran back in 2014 maybe. Let's bring that out. Get billboards showing our sport. I mean, we had a billboard down the road from my house with some chick from OnlyFans on it that was in the news. If she can get money and organise to put herself on a billboard, what the hell are the shooting organisations doing with all our membership money? We should be taking out billboards. We should be taking out ads in the paper that docks us. We should all be putting on our profiles, I am a shooter. I am a hunter. No more of this all, like, I don't want to be publicly known as a shooter. They've already got our addresses. It's already been printed. Who cares if you've got a bumper sticker? I've got liberty or death on my car with, like, two guns. I don't care because, like, the horse is bolted. Let's not use, especially in WA, you can guarantee that the next election in 2025 they are going to use guns as the fear campaign. They don't have COVID anymore. That's been and gone. That's how they got the majority back in 2021 with the closed border. We'll keep the border closed, protect you from COVID. That's how they got this majority. 2025, we took the guns out of the community. We've proven we can keep you safe. Let's get the community thinking, but hang on, Kate, they took Kate's gun, but she wasn't a threat before. In fact, we actually felt safer with her around because she carries pepper spray and she knows how to use it. Let's get the community on side so government don't have the power to wield with their fear stick and we can all keep our firearms. That's my view. And I'm not saying I'm right, but that's just my idea. No, I I 100% agree with you. You know, we definitely should have um, means of non-lethal self-defence in Australia. That's something that's always blown my mind that, you know, Mm. the, the government seems to be very very against you know um 
it's just insane how they they work it. Um, but I also find that um, you know at the moment Firearm Owners United have a campaign every September, um, suppresses September, mm. and um, we try and get as many people to write letters we got pre-made um letter templates on the website for people to fill in their details send to their local mps so that they can be forward on you know it's doesn't seem like much but the replies that some of the people get are decent for what it is you know so if we could get you know more people out there doing this type of stuff hunters like firearm owners united have it pretty pretty much done you just need to google your local mp find the email address, write your name, your address, and write your name at the end and then send it off. But, you know, mm-hmm. you, you struggle to get people to do that, let alone stand up for other things in the in the community, oh. which is just insane. It, it, I, I don't get it, um, you know, even with all the um, bow hunting, potential bow hunting ban here in South Australia getting people to actually write letters in and um, sign petitions and that, they, people just don't want to do it. They, they're the first to complain when something happens, yeah. but we tend to be, as shooters and hunters, are very lazy people when it comes to that. Yeah, well, the time for being lazy and, and complacent is gone. We need to be more proactive. Uh, you saw it in Victoria with the uh, duck hunting inquiry, which was stacked with, you know, the animal rights activists um, and the animal welfare, uh, animal justice party, sorry, coming out saying, we've we've achieved what we wanted in inquiry, so we should ban duck hunting. It's like, well, you stacked it from the start. It was never going to be a, an impartial and transparent inquiry. And then you saw the CFMEU of all people, the unions, who all the construction guys who go dunk hunting, they were out on the streets of Parliament the next day. They mobilise. Yeah, we need to get better at mobilising. That was awesome um, to it, see. That was awesome. And, you know, I'm, I'm not a supporter of unions by any means. I mean, and Victoria, by God, that state is more corrupt than Western Australia. And I've yeah. worked, I worked on the Victorian state election campaign and I saw it there firsthand. Um, but the CFMEU, they mobilised like that. And they shot. It was a show of no defiance against the government. You're not going to take my right to go out duck hunting, and source free range duck for my family. No. So it's as simple as that. The farmers mobilised here in WA with the Aboriginal Cultural Heritage Act. They were out the steps of Parliament saying, "No, you're not going to tell me that I need to get some consultant that's paid two hundred dollars an hour to come out to my land to have a look and say, oh, you can dig a hole there to put your fence post.' No, <laughs> this is not how it should be in Australia. So, unfortunately, I know we're we're all a bit." Some people are a bit gun shy. It's not the time to be gun shy. It's the time to unite and it's time to put the, the stick in the sand, our guns in the sand and say no, no more. How can we get people, do you think, to, you know, rise up a bit, you know, do these letter campaigns, email mm. their local MP um, and stand up against these politicians that are just money hungry and grabbing whatever freedoms they can take? It's the million-dollar question. I used to think politics was the answer. Uh, If you voted a certain way and had the right people in there, that that would be the way to stem the tide or make the change. But 
I don't believe in the system of government that we currently have in Australia, especially seeing WA. I mean, we have upper and lower house totally controlled by one party. There's no opposition here. They're not even consulting according to government guidelines anymore. Um, you saw it with the WA Firearms Act. I mean, Paul Papalia's, the minister's handpick advisory group did not include one shooting organisation. I mean, it even had the Wine Growers Association of WA. And, you know, I love a wine as much as the next person, but, you know, what are they really going to contribute to the to the conversation about how many guns someone can own or what calibre to use when yeah. we're out hunting camel? I mean, you just need an air rifle to protect your crops. So I don't think that the current system of government we have in Australia is really reflecting the views of the people on the ground. Uh, so at some point in time that maybe the system of government needs to change. We're seeing the debate at the moment about the voice and changes yep. to the constitution. Let's have a wider conversation about the constitution and what rights we can put in there because it's there's very little rights for the individual. It wasn't written down the lens of individual rights like the American one was. But maybe it's time we have that conversation in Australia. What rights do the people actually want? Because at the moment, it seems like the government and authority has all the power and we're having less and less as the years go on. So it's kind of a bigger philosophical conversation to have, but that's where I'm at at the moment. Yeah, that's it. You know, the government's going to have the power. Why they keep us divided and arguing over the small petty shit that's mm. been going on, you know, over the last three, four years with, you know, all the different things that have happened. <laughs> yeah. Not that I want to get into any of them because no. you know, uh, they're all, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So stepping, stepping away from that for a little bit, what would be your top beginner tip for someone getting into the, the sport? Yeah. Uh, have a really good mentor. Find someone who wants to share that knowledge with you. I was lucky to have it with my dad, um, but that was also, you know, a few conversations about, oh, I really want to learn, I really want to learn, and, you know, it's traditionally a male activity and I'm Italian-Irish, so my dad's Italian, so it was kind of, you know, okay, but he was never like, no, I'm not going to show you because you're a girl. He was like, actually, yeah, I do want my daughter to learn how to shoot and hunt. Here, this is how you go. This is how you reload. This is what you use if, you, if you're going out shooting at this particular animal, like calibre conversation. This is how you, you handle a firearm. So I was lucky to have my father as a strong mentor in terms of t teaching me a lot of what I know. Uh, but it's also what I was saying before, the attitude and willingness to learn. I respect that this is traditionally a male-dominated uh, activity. So I don't go in there disrespectful. I I honestly, genuinely, I know I was having a bit of, you know, all this infighting before, but I respect that it is predominantly men who have the skills and knowledge. So I'm, I want to learn and I'm very respectful about how I ask and listen, and I'm not argumentative about that side of things. I'm argumentative about politics and how we're handling the fight, absolutely. But in terms of the skills, I just want to learn. So my advice would be, you know, just go in there with interest, lead with curiosity and read. I read a lot and I watch a lot of, you know, YouTube videos before I went to the shotgun range. I just, you know, Googled basic skills how to there's so much information out there now so absorb as much as you can everyone learns differently 
And But my number one advice is be respectful. And if you genuinely want to know, people are happy to share their, their knowledge with you. Yeah, that's it. Um, how would you recommend for, you know, a new female getting into the sport or just anyone in general um, finding a mentor, going mm. about finding a mentor? Because as you said before, you know, with the whole gun shop and range thing not feeling very inviting, how would you mm. go about for someone new finding a mentor? Yeah, that's a good question. I guess I'm lucky because I've been around it my whole life. I kind of have to take a step back and think, well, the, that's the other thing. Because we're all so gun shy, some people don't even know we're shooters. And that's the first problem. Like if we're not going to be out there and, and mention it casually in conversation, like we have to change this attitude that being a shooter is, you know, something you have to whisper at the water cooler to someone, you know, the look in the eye. Are you like, no, like let's just be honest. What did you do on the weekend? I went, went out hunting with my mates. You don't have to say, oh, I just watch TV. No, when I have start the conversation and then you'll find, oh, well, do you want to come to the range with me one day? Because there's so many of us, there's 90,000 shooters in WA alone. I mean, I think it was getting up to 800,000 when I left SSAA back in 2018. So I think we're over a million shooters now. So there's That's lots awesome. of us out there. So let's share the fact that we're shooters and hunters. And then, like, the SSAA do great work in terms of their magazines and publicity about it, other organisations too. So let's keep putting that information out there in a friendly way and and see who else we can bring into the fold. Yeah, I, I do like your point about, you know, people being gun-shy and, you know, don't really talk about it. Um, I'm much like yourself, uh, you know, chatting to some well you know, customers during the week. Oh, what do you do on the weekend? Or what are you doing on the weekend? Oh, I'm going shooting, I'm going spotlighting, I'm going deer hunting, yeah. I'm, you know, uh, taking the kids out shooting, I'm taking the kids out hunting, you know. Um, it's just something that's always, I always bring into the conversation. And, you know, some people don't really go off of it, but lots of people have lots of questions about it. And then, you know, yeah. go go to the camera roll and start showing them photos and explaining to yeah. them stuff. And, you know, then it goes from that to, you know, oh, what do they like to eat? Or can you eat them? I didn't know we had deer in Australia. I didn't know this. I didn't know that. And then, yeah, start going through, you know, photos of cooking and explaining to yeah. them and all that type of stuff. So I do think that's a, that's a very good point, you know, um, talk about it a bit more open, you know. Um, I'm always wearing some type of, you know, hunting shooting related apparel pretty much no matter wherever i go whether i've got my um uh you know all sorts of stuff uh i've got my gun dog um gear hat on majority of the time i've got my um eureka outdoor shirts on all the time and it's like hunter gatherer with like steps from you know the monkey to to the modern day hunter you know whether it's with a rifle or a bow Love so it. run a bunch of yeah. bunch of that apparel everywhere I go you know it's just <laughs> it's uh, I go to places and everyone's like oh you're the hunter you know you're <laughs> yeah like I was well like, I've got a I've got a little well it's not I have a 357 Essen Smith and Wesson revolver tattooed on me because it's my dad's and I'll get that when he passes away which hopefully won't be anytime soon um, but I have a gun tattooed on, on me so I'm definitely wearing it with pride but you're also I love your point about um food and Jason from Hunt Hunt Catch Cook who's a mate of mine he still owes me a dinner 
I've been trolling him on Facebook. He does all these amazing cooking videos and I'm sitting here eating my chicken nuggets because I'm too poor to <laughs> afford anything else. And my dad's in South Australia. I can't have my guns because the Waypole hate me. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, food is a great one. Like my dad makes a great venison jerky. So it's just sharing that with people. Oh, this was actually from free-range deer that were hunted with my dad. And that's an incredible story. And then people, you know, the whole paleo thing, we were really getting into our fitness here in Australia. Let's bring that back. That's another point I'd like to make. I look at it holistically. It's not just about being able to shoot and hunt. It's about looking after ourselves and our health and fitness. And free-range food is a perfect way to do it. Um, vegans, you can go out and, and pick your plants. That's fine. We'll go out and hunt and have plants too. So it's a holistic approach. So really getting out in nature as well. It's not just about guns. It's that we have to look at the whole thing for individuals and for Australians. Do we want to be reliant on the government and, and unfit? And, you know, you can't, you can only exercise for an hour a day or whatever the hell they told, told us to do during COVID. No, let's, let's look at us as individuals. What do we want to look like as an Australian people? Because I don't want this, you know, fat, lazy, doesn't know how to fend for themselves kind of culture that I feel like the government is trying to make us become. So hunters, we actually have a responsibility to not let our country fall in that way. I know that sounds a bit like full on to say, and I am a bit, <laughs> I can be a bit full on sometimes, but that's the reality. What kind of people do we want to be as Australians? Yeah, something going back to something you said earlier about, um, you know, national parks kind of locking mm. people out. That's mm -hmm. always been my massive hate is the amount of accessible land we have to you know recreate on you know south australia there's no public land hunting which is mm. to me is just absolutely ridiculous you know you look at places like victoria who have a pretty amazing you know some some people in victoria wouldn't look at it like that but you know coming from a state where there's no public land hunting they've just got a absolutely beautiful gold mine over there of public mm. land hunting you, you know yes they do some culling and poisoning on public land which is a shame i'm not for you know the poisoning mm. side of stuff um but yeah it's just absolutely disgusting that they lock us out of our land and tell yeah. us what we can and can't can't do on these beautiful public places you know more and more places get locked out of, for fishing and full driving and you know just going in you know when they do these feral animal cars they're locking you out and you can't mm. you can't go in there and there's you know there's all these rotting rotting animals mm. left right and center from after they do the cars and you're not allowed in there at all where all that meat well, could be utilized yeah. Yeah, it's obviously not being managed properly as it is. And it's also a bushfire risk as well if it's not being managed properly, um, not to mention the damage done by feral goats that I've seen in the Flinders Ranges like I was talking about before. So obviously national parks and the government managing of our land is not being managed effectively. And we're already in a cost of living crisis. We've got a trillion, we're approaching a trillion dollar debt. Why are we spending money on public servants whose responsibility is it to look after these lands and they can't even do that right. And then you're locking out volunteers who have the skills like my dad, who's a member of CWN Conservation Wildlife Management. He's a life member. He goes out there, pays for everything himself, doesn't get a dime from the taxpayer, but he does it as a public service and he's more effective with his groups than people that were paid to look after the land. So yeah, that's it. 
who's being jibbed? Like, is, is this some, this is the grift is up. Like, let us go out there and manage it because we actually want to enjoy the land that we live in. Yeah, that's it. Um, you know, bringing back to one of the names you mentioned earlier, Tash Peterson, and I, yeah. I can't remember the chicken um, in New South Wales. She's absolute nutcase. Um, mm. Right into the um, animal rights activism in in the politics. She's yes, something to do in the over there. But she's animal justice party probably. Yeah, yeah. I can't. Her name escapes me right now, but. You know, I follow her just to keep keep track of what she's doing, but she's an absolute nutcase. But yeah, it's people like this that you know you look at the way they do stuff. They don't want people to go out into natural places. They don't mm. want us to be a part of the ecosystem where we've been a part of this ecosystem as long as we've been around as a human species, which mm. just blows my mind. They're like, you know, let nature be a, be nature. It's like. We are fucking nature at the end of the day. Yeah. Like we've been a yeah. part of it and nature's evolved around us as we've evolved, you know. Yes, we need to conserve nature and look out for our native mm. flora mm-hmm. and fauna and do the best we can with introduced animals or keeping the numbers low to a population that, you know, balances kind of, you know. I know Dan from uh, Eureka Outdoors would be screaming at the uh at the podcast right now with me saying that you know him and i have different opinions well he's he's a he's a biologist by by study so Uh and he's working in that field now so you know he well just the the biology side of stuff you know no introduced animal on the landscape is the best way to go for for the native ecosystem Mm. so it's just it's a it's a tough balance when it comes to all of this you got these people like tash peterson and yeah like i said i can't remember the Mm. other the other one's name but you know they're fighting for us not to be a part of the natural landscape and it's it's absolutely crazy it blows my mind well their whole argument falls down because their belief is that animals are sentient so animals have feelings like humans um and therefore we shouldn't hunt or kill them my uh, argument against that is okay so if you think animals are sentient you are saying that they have a choice in terms of killing so do you want to charge another animal with killing another animal because then that means it's murder because they've done it knowing that they're hurting another animal because you believe they're sentient so are you going to go out there and charge another animal with murder and they, they get all flustered and say, no, that's not what I mean. I mean, they have, like, yeah, of course animals have some level of feeling. I had a cat for 16 and a half years um, who's passed away this year and I've got her ashes tattooed in my skin to my mum's horror. But, of course, that cat had, I had a connection with it. But I knew that I was the intelligent one in that dynamic. Yeah. So the whole myth that animals are equal to humans, it's just not true. So... Please, you know, you go over there with your religious belief because veganism is religion to them. It's a cult. They are trying to push their beliefs on other people. That's it. Do what you want as long as you're not hurting another human is the philosophy I live by. It's a libertarian philosophy. 
they they are trying to be intolerant of how we live our lives when we're not hurting anyone else. In, in fact, we're actually taking pressure off of society because we're going out there and getting food for ourselves. We're not going to Coles uh, and, and taking food that other people might want to buy because they don't have the skills that we do to go and hunt and gather for ourselves. So uh, anyway, veganism, I've said I'll be happy to publicly debate Tash Peterson on this issue, but she's blocked me. Her and the police minister, Paul Papalia, both blocked me. <laughs> Even like some of my ex-boyfriends, most of my ex-boyfriends don't block me, but the police minister, you know, and, and Tash Peterson, I'm blocked. So, so there I, you go. <laughs> I, I jumped on Instagram just to find out um, who, who I was talking about. Emma Hurst is the... Is mm. the she does okay. does my head in, you know. She does all these TikTok style dances for oh. animal justice and all of this, you know, absolute mental shit. But yeah, everyone go go check out her page. She's I'll check her out and see how long I last before I'm blocked. Oh, her voice does my head in. <laughs> oh. Oh. But jumping on to a bit of a lighter note. Well, somewhat lighter note, zombie apocalypse weapon. What would you be, what would you be going? I would want my dad's three five seven Smith and Wesson revolver on me, definitely. Um, what else would I want to arm myself with? Glad I've shot some fun things in America. That's what I love about going there, um, going to the ranges over there and the stuff they can shoot. I shot an Israeli machine gun in San Diego, which was awesome didn't rate AK-47, so I wouldn't have that. Um, what would you have? And how many guns are you going to have on you? If I'm in WA, I'm going to have limits on me at this rate. <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm, I'm a sucker for Walking Dead. Um, ah. I, I love the whole Daryl Dixon approach with the, the crossbow. So, you know, oh. for fun style, you know, crossbow, blades, that type of, that type of thing. So, Yeah. Okay, well, I actually love Kate Beckinsale in Underworld, so I'd definitely be having um, some of whatever she's got. I would raid her gun cabinet for <laughs> sure and be ready to go. Speaking of America, where have you been then? Oh, um, so I've been to that beautiful country, I think it's five times now. I actually went to the NRA when I worked for SSAA. I went awesome. and did a little bit of a secondment there. I went to their firearms museum and underground. They have a bunker full of all these guns that were used in Hollywood movies. So I got to hold the gun from Scarface, say hello to my little friend. Uh, that was just incredible. John Malkovich's pistol from Con Air, I got to hold that too. Um, so I've been basically all along the East Coast. I've been to D.C. a few times. I went there after my Senate campaign and spoke at a few libertarian events, hoping to get over there next year. I actually would really love to live in America. And they love me over there because obviously I'm an Aussie girl that loves guns so and freedom. So I feel like I'm a bit of an American at heart. Uh, and I love going to Vegas. There's a gun range called Battlefield Vegas. You can actually go and shoot a tank. Um, I, haven't, I haven't done that yet, but I want to. You can shoot out of a helicopter too. You know, only the, the government bureaucrats can shoot out of helicopters here and then they're, <laughs> shooting, at, they're shooting at civilians and private property. Yeah, so, exactly. um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I'm itching to get back to America, so hopefully I'll be there next year. I've been invited to speak at a few Liberty events, so... Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, I've I've been to Texas. Um, absolutely oh, loved yeah. it, but I'm definitely keen to get back over there. 
hunting one day. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, that's on my list too. I know I also want to go to New Zealand. I've got cousin over there in Taranaki. So I've been, um, haven't been out hunting with him, but I've been out just having fun with his guns. Um, this was before the Christchurch incident. Yeah. So he's had to give a few back. Uh, but they say, see, why should someone who hasn't done anything wrong, which is the 1996, so that was their 1996. Yeah, exactly. Why should we be punished for the actions of one individual, which in most cases is already known to authorities? I mean, it's a failure on the authorities. It's not a failure on us, the innocent people who own guns for our own activities. The whole collectivist approach to firearm owners whenever something happens is is outrageous and it's not it's an example of weak men creating tough times that's it because the weak men in office are the last ones that should have guns in my opinion um but now i'm getting all fired up again sorry (laughs) no that's fine that's fine it's uh good to hear the passion and enthusiasm but yeah I, i was uh in new zealand 2016 so i got to shoot some cool stuff while i was over there and then going back this year you know obviously they don't they didn't have those this time around unfortunately (laughs) yeah i mean a lot of people that i I point out to them that do you actually know the homicide and and suicide rates before 1996 because they were actually falling um but people's eyes tend to blur over when you start talking stats and facts which is why I talk about it from a cultural and emotional perspective because it is. If the the opposition are going to argue it on emotional grounds, well, fine, I'll tell you my emotional response to it and and you're not going to take that away from me. It's my culture. So, you know, we're all about respecting other people's culture. Well, you can respect mine then. Simple as that. Yeah, that's that's something that's blown away with the whole anti-gun and anti-hunting argument. It's all, you know, everyone's focused on people's cultures these days. But, you know, for people like us where hunting's been in our culture for generations, you know, what mm-hmm. do you say, Irish and Italian background you have? Is that what you say? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. It's part of my culture. I can't, that's why I'm like a hot-blooded, passionate Irish-Italian woman. <laughs> like, <laughs> what do you want me to do? Like... That's the great thing about being an individual as well. Like you want us to have these different views on things. So why are you trying to take that away from me just because you don't understand it? No, well, I don't understand. Like if you want to get dressed up as a man and read to kids and drag queen story time, but if I say something against it, I'm intolerant. Yet when I go out in my camos hunting with my dad, I'm the bad person. Hang on a second here. Like you do what you want as long as you're not hurting anyone else, which is the gray area with what that is. But me going out doing that with my dad, like, come on, come on, guys. Yeah, for for a country that's so focused on mental health, for them to take, you know, firearm owner, ownership away from people and to take hunting rights away from people, like, that's the amount of people that I, you know, doing this podcast, there's a question we'll get to at the end that mm. I absolutely love asking. And everyone has such a unique answer but it's also similar and really what makes the answer is you know it's their escape it's you know they Mm. get out there for their mental health um and it's just yeah for a country that's so focused on mental health we tend to go against it when it comes to these these types of issues 
Well, you'd be interested to know that mandatory mental health checks are part of the new WA laws and they want to do it on an annual basis last time I checked. Now, when you say that to people, you think, oh, okay, of course someone who owns a gun should have mental health check. Absolutely. No, mental health, anyone who's had mental health issues, which is basically everyone, knows that mental health is fluid. It changes. Some days are better than others. Sometimes you need more help than at other times. Sometimes people need medication. Sometimes it's all, it's a moving beast. So when someone says mandatory mental health checks every year for gun owners, okay, so who's going to pay for it? Medicare, which means the Australian government. We're already under-resourced in terms of mental health support in Australia. We are already, as shooters, our licence is under review 24-7. If we get too many parking fines or speeding fines, we can lose our licence. If yeah. we leave a one bit of ammunition outside the state, outside the safe, the state can take our guns. Mental health to us is paramount in keeping not only us but society safe, understandable. But if you take away the guns, think of someone who's come back from fighting overseas who has PTSD, that's a mental health condition. These veterans who have just been disarmed by Police Minister Paul Papalia for their long-range shooting They've said to me privately that they go out to the range and do that as a form of mental health to talk about their experiences in Iraq and Afghanistan. They don't want to go and talk to a quack. They want to talk to each other. And they went to the range and shot their rifles. And that's how they got through their mental health issues. So saying mandatory mental health checks every year, even the medical professionals society here, they don't want that because... Who's going to be liable if some a doctor signs off, oh, yeah, Kate was, like, passed a mental health check, yeah. and then the next day an incident happens? Yeah, exactly. So it actually doesn't work practically. It sounds good off the tongue to the media and to general society, but when you scratch beneath the surface, it, all these other issues, and what problem are you actually trying to solve? You already have us doing all these fit and proper person checks ptas for a gun waiting period 28 days six months before you can own a handgun add the list goes on and now you want to introduce something else they're just trying to make it harder and disincentivize australians from accessing firearms to erode our culture and the ability to go and hunt and gather food for ourselves tell me i'm wrong no, tell me i'm wrong. no you're, you're exactly right and you know that's that's something else that's you know talking about hunting and gathering that's something else that's been it seems like it's since covid has jumped up like a gargantuan amount you know the the amount of people that are getting into just even foraging which is just mm. insane bush skills survival um the amount of people that got their firearms license because of COVID and, you know, meat shortages in grocery stores and yeah. just people wanting to be a bit more independent and knowing where their food comes from, you know, yeah. the amount of foraging pages that have popped up. There's um, a, a guy I follow over in Western Australia who does like a foraging school and he teaches like bushcrafts mm. to children and people right. that want to learn it, which is absolutely awesome you know i've i've reached out to a, a lady over here who does a mushroom picking foraging school trying to get her on I, I think she might be a vegan or a vegetarian so coming into the studio because she's from south australia might be a bit <laughs> daunting for her but um i've been trying to get that one on the cards for a while <laughs> for a while awesome. so, um, how crazy is it that 
during like mushroom season, for example, the state actually sends out mushroom police to stop us from picking mushrooms that we want to ingest in our own homes, in our own bodies, because heaven forbid that you do something that the state doesn't think you should do with your own body, even though you're not hurting anybody else. Like what a waste of resources that is. Like there is more things that the government should be doing than going out and policing us, picking some mushrooms because we want to get a little bit higher than our, our own I mean, come on. Yeah, and that's that's the thing. People like that they're, they're targeting the psilocybin side of side of things, not so much just that you know edible mushrooms that are that aren't going to get you high. Um, and but you know you got the every year the people that have mistaken identities picking the mushrooms and end up in hospitals. And you know there was that lady in was it Victoria the other other week that poisoned mm-hmm. <laughs> poisoned her family oh and shit with uh with- we, we need the skills we need the knowledge of the bush and the food and the hunting and gets like don't let the government take that away from That's us it. please yeah what have you forgotten when you've headed out to the range or on a hunting trip oh um, I like to keep all my stuff in my car ready to go and <laughs> sound like a doomsday a little bit, but no, I, I want to be ready to go. So I, I like to keep, and I think working at Double SWA was always great because I got to meet lots of different people in the shot shows. I don't know if you ever went to those, but seeing no, all the different, uh, they used to have shot shows, um, which I hope that they bring back because it's It'd just be such a great opportunity to see all the, the innovations in, in the hunting gear that we can take out with us. Um, See, I've, but also, I've been to the Deer Expo a few times in Victoria. Ah, That's amazing. Um, yeah, I missed yeah, this year's cool. one, which which was sad. But um, I've had a pretty big year of hunting, so which is understandable. <laughs> I said to Double S because I still have mates and connections there. I said you should do the shot show in Western Australia as a show of no, we're not going anywhere. Like let's have it here in the state where all this shit seems to be happening. Come on, show us what we've got. And, like, the innovation in, in firearms technology is also fascinating. That's why I love talking to the collectors and the historical guys because some of the stuff that they have, my God, it, it's, it breaks my heart the number of guns that were destroyed after, in 1996 that were of historical value. I mean, some of these things could have been sold overseas for a mint or at least put in museums that they just... Some of the images from that actually gets me quite upset because I'm a bit of a history buff as yeah. well. Um, fascinated with like war history too. I think it's because like my grandfather escaped fascist Italy, so the stories of of that time and some of the guns from the wars, like that stuff, is fascinating. And we should protect that. We shouldn't be trying to take that away from people That's as it. well. Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm going off on another tangent. That's fine. I I like the tangents. It's good. Um, What about the funniest thing that's happened to you when you've been out hunting or headed to the range? Um, Funny story at the range. I think what's funny these days is how much I get recognised. <laughs> I was at Belmont last week and one of the guys came out and he's like, oh, my God, you're okay. And I'm like, he's like, thank you so much for what you do. I wouldn't be able to put myself – I can't put myself out there like you do. And I just said to him, someone has has to do it. So I always find it funny when these nanny are like, you know, big belly, but oh, my God, you're Lady Liberty. I'm like, yeah. And they're just so grateful for, for someone standing up for them. 
And that actually means a lot to me because like I was saying at the start, it's a very, can be a lonely place sometimes um, as a female shooter, but also in the political field in Western Australia, having a view that's very different to the majority. Yeah. Uh, it's a bit hard on my mental health sometimes. So I, I really just want to give a shout out to the shooters who throw me some love and throw me a nice message on Facebook or you know, and I'm I'm genuine in, in my quest. I'm not doing it for myself. I'm genuinely concerned about the future and our generation and, and our kids' generation not having those experiences w- with firearms and hunting. So I'm putting myself out there for the cause. Um, if I'm not the right person and if people think that I shouldn't be out here saying anything, then happy to have that conversation. But um, like I said at the start of the pod, what we've been doing isn't working, so I'm just trying to to make a start, a stand, and 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 help the sport and the courts. That's good. We we definitely need it, and the more people that can do it, and if there's someone stepping up that you don't like the way they do it, step up yourself. <laughs> that's yeah, the, that's the best way to go around it. Um, so hunting wise, if you mm. had top five dream animals to hunt anywhere in the world or would it just be places like do you have any particular animals that you would like to go hunt or is it just places that you would just like to go hunt well dad and i really want to go up to the nt and go buffalo hunting yeah so that's something i've been talking to him about maybe next year maybe august september next year i think we were looking at um so that's definitely on my list to do with him um basically all my hunting's dreams are with my dad I don't know if that's sad or not but it's awesome yeah yeah he's he's a hunter he's um he's my mentor he's my hero so buffalo's on the list he also wants to come across to WA and go up um north camel hunting that was the interest other interesting thing about the gun confiscation of high caliber rifles they came out and said oh we don't need these because you know we don't have these big game animals in the state and it's like bro we literally have buffalo and camels up north like this is how dumb not dumb they just deliberately lie and why can someone from south australia or the nt own these firearms but someone in wa can't like yeah. are we less trustworthy than someone over the border to own these firearms for legitimate reasons for legitimate legitimate hunting purposes <laughs> i mean the, the, the it just doesn't add up yeah when- it blows my mind when it comes to that like you know when you go out hunting your aim is to be as as in as efficient as possible and as humane as possible. Yes. And the WA governments come along and go, "All right, you're too too humane and too efficient with these larger larger calibers. How about you drop it back down to a, <laughs> to oh a smaller caliber?" Everyone was worried about what was going to be. I have the list printed off here because it's basically um, anything that like three three eight Lapua. 340 Weatherby Magnum, like some of this stuff we actually need. And the other insulting thing when they announced this gun confiscation was that the police were, were worried that they would be used to snipe at their vehicles and at police. And it's like, can you show us the evidence that shows anyone was planning to do that yeah. anywhere in Australia in our entire history? You have the police dictating to the government what the firearm law should be here, which is also dangerous because they're the ones who are meant 
to enforce the law, not write the law. Exactly. So the police are just going and they're saying, we want this, this, and this, and this, and this is the reason. And the, the government are so weak and these men have no backbone or spine. They'll just go, okay, the police, yes, the police are the, the you know, anyone with a badge is automatically more trustworthy than a citizen. <laughs> no, no, the, the, we are not uh, subservient to the state. We are citizens of the state and the police are there to protect society when needed, not to trample all over the rights of people just because they have a badge. It's turning into a police state as well as a nanny state, I'd Australia love, in general. I would love to put the average Australian shooter against the average um Australian police officer in a shooting competition just to show you who has more knowledge of firearms and who's more accurate and you know I've I've I think I've spoken about this before on the podcast but when I've taken uh, firearms to get registered to local police stations just watching them handle a firearm when they're checking all the serial numbers and that and going over the paperwork they're looking down the barrel they're sticking barrel in other people's faces behind the counter and I'm I'm just standing there like how do you have no ability to handle a rifle a rifle like they're, you know, I, I hand it to them as safe as possible, bolt out and, you know, they're, they're looking down mm. the barrel and they're sticking. Oh. Yeah, it's just absolutely insane watching. And it's happened every single time I've registered a firearm. I think I've had one, one cop who knew what he was doing, but that was about all. Well, legally, legally, according to the law, pistol shooters in Australia have to shoot more shoots than a police officer yeah. with their handgun at the range. So if you ever see a police officer pull out their handgun in public, <laughs> God help us all because you do not know. When you saw it in the Sydney siege that man Monas, one of the victims was killed by a police sniper. I mean, you can't make this up. So we, that's the other thing we should be, not that we want to have a go at the police because there are some good cops out there. Um, certainly they've helped. Some of them have helped me in, in when I've needed them. But majority of the time, when seconds count, police are minutes away. We've all heard that saying. And we should be responsible for our own safety. We shouldn't have to be reliant on a police officer. And, and they shouldn't have that responsibility either. So that's another conversation we should start having is about police authority versus civilians and what we should be able to do. That's it. Uh, a funny story just popped into my mind about police with firearms. So uh, probably about 10, 12 years ago, I did some uh, charity fundraising for, um, I think it was, I can't remember the company, but I was working out the front of the Adelaide Uni there on um, North Terrace. Yeah. And it was uh, dressed like a pirate day. So me and my co-worker were dressed like pirates. You know, I went to the reject shop grabbed a you know a fake pirate bandana a fake hook a fake sword a fake flintlock a pistol you know had a parrot like a fake parrot on my shoulder and we're working there all day and um about two o'clock the a cop car rocks rocks up with the lights and sirens on and they've launched Mm -hmm. up onto the footpath and i'm like oh what's going on i'm looking behind me and three cops have jumped out and they've all drawn guns get on the ground or we'll shoot so i've 
pancaked on the ground. I've had one cop come up and put the put the handgun on my forehead, like on my skin, and then the other one on the back of my head, and then the other one's like kicking the fake sword away and kicking the the, the fake hooker out, and they're screaming, oh, do you have any more weapons on you? And like the guy that I'm trying to work with, he's like, trying to get the cop that doesn't have a handgun on my on my forehead and the back of my head's attention and he's turned around and stuck the <laughs> stuck it in his face and he's like back the fuck off and <laughs> the guys working with just like step back and yeah they've oh, realized what's God. happened and what they've turned around and said they're like you're lucky we didn't shoot questions and ask uh, shoot first and ask questions later <laughs> oh my god See, the, Australia is the only country where they ban something because it looks scary instead of a rational approach. Is like, blasters. what is, what is, yeah, gel <laughs> glasses. Oh, did you see that video I put up on my Insta? Yeah, I did. Uh, yeah, like, but that's what it was like watching it, that Ryan Reynolds um, meme video. It's, yeah, it's ridiculous. We are a laughing stock. Like, the guns are not dangerous they are an inanimate object yeah, exactly. it's the person and the balance is not right in terms of how we manage them in australia that like even those who are anti-gun cannot argue with that that's the reality so let's have a mature discussion about firearms and actually talk to people who use them and know how to use them what will work what will balance public safety with responsible firearms ownership and our proud culture of hunting and shooting in this country. That's where the conversation should be. That's it. But you brought up a mature conversation, which most of these people cannot have. (laughs) I have hope. I have hope. So jumping from that, how do you see the public views on hunting, hunters and shooters and shooting? Well, it's interesting. Back when I worked for SSAA, um, we did a few surveys and it was basically 25% of people are really pro-gun, 25% are really anti, and 50% don't really have an opinion or don't care. So that tells you a lot already. Um, Unfortunately, the media, especially in this state, have been very effective in portraying our sport and recreation as if and us as individuals as we're some kind of safety threat which you saw with the doxing on the front page of the West Australian but I don't think Australians are that dumb like let's think about it rationally here we all have critical thought to some extent some of us are smarter than others but I think after the last few years anyone who thinks the government can be trusted to manage crises <laughs> or crises. You can't, like, they couldn't even run a quarantine centre. They couldn't get Australians back from overseas. They completely mismanaged a lot of things during the pandemic, uh, but we won't go into that now. <laughs> but, uh, well, I could if you wanted to, but this is a hunting podcast. So I'll save my other anti-government rants for other shows. I think that's why I really want to focus on educating the communi- community about what we do. Because like you've been saying, we are ethical in how we go about our business. I would rather trust us with management of our our native parks and our our land than a bureaucrat who doesn't, you know, they get their paycheck and they go home. That's it to them. So I think there does need to be an education campaign for the community just to understand, like, why we do what we do and why we're important, why our skills 
are needed for the future because we wouldn't be here if it wasn't for hunter-gatherers to begin with. And you saw the Indigenous have their proud hunting cultures as well. So let's let's bring them into the conversation. Let's hear from different views. Let's That's hear it. from from everyone and and educate each other. So I'm not 100% sold that the community are, are that dumb, but we need to get better at, at educating and sharing our stories. And I hope my story coming from culture and, and tradition and the relationship I have with my father, I think that connects with people a, a bit more than some big blokey guy going, oh, I just want to, you know, go to the rain and shoot this on the weekend and you can't take it off me. Like, that's very aggressive. Uh, and I've been called aggressive, so you can only imagine what, like, some normie would think of that. <laughs> um, yeah, so I think people, like, when you get uh, those conversations, people are actually interested. So let's share it in, like, I love how you talk about it as well. We're the next generation and our kids are the next generation. So, you know, while we respect the old guard and and, and their traditions, like, we still want to be able to have our traditions too. So That's it. Yeah. So on the education side, what? how would you change the public views on hunting hunters, firearm owners on the education side of things? Well, that's why I was talking about that campaign. I'm a shooter. I'm a hunter. I mean, the responsibility, it, the buck stops with us. We're the ones with the skills. We're the ones who participated in this sport and have taken the time to learn from our father or whoever it may be. So it's up to us now, like, yes, we can dwell on the past and we shouldn't be in this situation because we shouldn't have given our guns back in 1996 to begin with, but that's in the past now. Um, we can't change that. So now's the time that we we work together and we share our stories and we don't, now's not the time to be coy. Yeah. Now's the time to be strong and united. That's it. Um how do you think we could get our stories out there to educate these people? Like you mentioned billboards and that before. Do you think we should get, you know, hunters telling their story and have something up on a billboard or in the papers or, you know, probably not so much the news because the news can twist stuff how they... Yeah, I think the time for like the traditional press release and, you know, trying to get a story on the news, it's like the media cannot be trusted. You've seen it during COVID, they're complicit. It's all wherever the advertising revenue goes, that's that's who gets their story told. So I think it's we utilise social media as much as we can. Um, we share each other's stuff. You know, we don't, We that's a, another problem. Like, you know, we're so competitive with, each other that we forget hang on we actually have a bigger battle out there so let's share our stuff um and yeah social media is really where it's at but it's also getting out in the community too which is why i have those conversations and even just sitting on my lunch break in the mall I, and a normie sits down to me it's actually on the ground grassroots activism that's where it is like there's only so much you can do online only so many memes you can make and only so many podcasts you can make it's really just getting out there and having those conversations with our own friends our own family stranger on the bus that kind of thing like that's where it begins it's a really a grassroots campaign that 
we need to work. And I'm happy to, you know, if we want to start a, a group where we're all sharing ideas or a, you know, WhatsApp group or a signal group, I'm happy to be part of that too. And I don't have all the answers. I'm sure there are other people. It can't just be a few of us out here speaking out. Um, or if you, you can't speak out because of your job, I've said to people as well, like that bloke from the range, if there's anything that you think should be said and you can't say it, send it to me. Like I'll say, I have nothing to lose anymore. Honestly, I have nothing to lose. So happy to put myself out there. I've got <laughs> myself shooting a 303 on a core flute, like a campaign poster. I put it out the front of Paul Papalier's office. Like what more do you guys want from me? Like I'm happy to put myself out there, but you guys have got to support me too because it, it gets hard sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> I, I can only imagine. I know what it's mm. like from the, you know, the anti-hunting crowd of people. I've had my fair share of hate from them. So yeah. I, <laughs> I know what it's like to be doxxed and all of that that type of I thing. Know. Um, yeah. And then finally, what is shooting and hunting to you? Shooting and hunting to me is something that my dad has taught me to be a self-reliant responsible part of society the fact that I can go out there if I needed to and forge forage food for myself and know what calibers to use to do it humanely and ethically and to be able to feed myself and a community if I had to it's it's protecting preserving civilization so for me, it's something that I'm so grateful to be able to have as a skill. I want more individuals, more women, more Australians to have this skill going forward. And it's just a lot of fun. I love going to the range. It's such a great atmosphere. Everyone is so warm and welcoming. And it's a skill that humans should have. And it, it should be a basic human right to be able to go out there and be able to feed yourself and your family. So from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> 100% agree. 100% agree. And if people have enjoyed what they've, they've heard on today's episode, where can they find you? How can they give you support? Yeah, so I have a website ladyliberty.com.au and that has links to all my socials. I have Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. I post a lot of anti-government memes. You might not agree with everything, uh, all my views. Hopefully you agree with my uh, firearms views and my shooting and hunting views. Um, but if you wanted to support my work, just share my stuff. Like, please, I, I, like I said, I don't earn anything from all this stuff that I do. I do it because I genuinely want my country, our country and our generation and the next generation to be able to shoot and hunt. It's as simple as that. Um, so if you can give me a follow, show me some love, that would be great. And like I said, if there's anything that you're too scared to say for whatever reason, I get it. I have nothing to lose. I don't care what the government thinks of me. So I'm happy to say it. Well, you happy to be, I'm happy to be your voice if you want me to. If you want me to go away, you guys just say, actually, we don't need, we want to go in a different <laughs> direction. But I don't think it's been working for us so far. So, yeah, it's time to, to change it up. 
uh, we need all the voices we can get, you know, whether it's in this podcast form or the form that you do it or, you know, the YouTube side, you know, we're all putting our voice out there somehow. And, um, you know, as hunters and shooters and firearm owners, no matter, you know, if you're a firearm owner who doesn't really go out, you know, hunting or, you know, own likes the collecting side of things or, you know, you're you're only a hunter we you know we all need to back each other and it's not just the hunting and the fish um, the hunting and the firearm owners um, side of stuff you have to like fishers have to get in and you know look after each other there and full drivers and you know all these it's an in, yeah it's an individual liberty issue now like how many much more liberty do you want this government to take from you that's it. I don't want them to take any more. In fact, I want to get some more back. That's it. So if you want to do that, then let's work together and, and do that, whether that's politically, whether that's just through activism, whatever it looks like, it's different for each of us. I don't really know where it will end up for me and how I can make the biggest change, but that's what I, I'm trying to position myself to make the biggest impact possible to get our liberties back. So once you find your place or when we all find our place, I'm sure we can do it. So, yeah, Let, come on. No more. The government cannot take any more of our guns. No it. more. Yeah, no. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm with you there, 100% with you there. But I just want to say thank you for coming on. It's It's been an absolute blast. and I love how passionate and enthusiastic you are about it all. And um, I'm keen to see what uh, you can get done in WA and other states, hopefully. Thanks, Zach. Thanks for having me. And look after each other out there. We're an important part of the future. We just need more of us. We need to be louder and prouder, and we need to get society and the rest of the community on side as well. So we can do it. Yeah, that's that's it. And, yeah, thank you very much for coming on tonight. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Hunting Connection Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed our discussions and gained valuable insights into the world of hunting, fishing and the outdoors. To stay connected with us and never miss out on an update, please be sure to follow us on social media, all at Hunting Connection Podcast. We appreciate your support and would love for you to share the podcast with your friends and family. Don't forget to tag us in your hunting photos on social media and let us know about your experiences. Your feedback is invaluable to us, so please take a moment to subscribe, rate and review the podcast. Together, we continue growing and delivering more captivating episodes for all hunting enthusiasts. Stay connected, stay informed and keep pursuing your passion for the hunt. Until next time, happy hunting.